Are we going to touch on Greg like an old man dancing? <laughs> Don't say Roman, Damo. You're cock blinded. This funeral, but as we know, it's Reagan's with tweaks. Or with twerks, maybe. Oh. I mean, how many times are they going to fucking say, my father's just died? Get over it, right? Don't think I can excuse anything said just because they're taking a load of cocaine. This podcast was recorded remotely and may contain adult language and themes. Hello and welcome to TV DNA Succession, Season 4, Episode 8, America Decides. My name is Adam Hemming and I'm fresh from a little coup in Peru. Joining us in a van from Tajikistan, it's Neil Shepek. They dance with an old man. I mean, they, they made us dance and I drank things that shouldn't be drunk. <laughs> I imagine you were both a little bit confused. Yeah. Also with us is our fun guy from Uruguay. It's Damien Cooper. Some people just can't cut a deal, Fikret. <laughs> Fikret. Who had to Google Fikret after this <laughs> episode? Guilty. <laughs> There's a really lovely piece on the Vulture website about Fikret. I don't know if that was the first result that popped up for you, Damo, but it charts Fikret's journey throughout the four seasons of Succession. Amazing. And we should say that uh, Fikret is, uh, for anyone who has watched the episode and is confused, uh, is Kendall's driver. Uh, that's his name. And he appears in the very first episode of Succession uh, a few times throughout the show. So there will be spoilers ahead for this episode of Succession. If you haven't watched it yet, do pause this podcast, go and watch it and then come back. But let's get some initial thoughts on America Decides. Well, while sleepwalking into oblivion, it really reminded me of The West Wing. When, when I watched The West Wing, I felt like I learned a lot about American politics and how presidential races, you know, kind of happen and, you know, what's the detail behind it. Whereas this episode showed a completely different side of how the media play into it. So, yeah, it, it was a lovely callback to my West Wing days. I mean, it was pretty terrifying. And if this is sort of accurate as to how US politics go, but I mean, surely there should be some independent body who's calling these results rather than it being left up to major news organisations. Doesn't seem to be. One of the things that this show is so good as is at is reflecting real life. And of course, this is pretty similar. What they do with, with Wisconsin is what Fox News did with Florida in the Bush-Gore election, which I thought was really uh, interesting. I don't think they're necessarily saying that George W. Bush was a massive fascist, <laughs> just, just to confirm that. There was so much fucking happened in this. I think maybe some irrevocable breaks uh, between people, and everyone was on their A-game, but I think for once, the MVP for me was Connor. <laughs> Explain. I mean, I've written down that whole speech that he gave. That I'm happy to repeat at any time. Uh, but that was amazing. The Ooh. stuff about Uruguay, him kind of like frantically trying to scrabble his way into some kind of position after having given it the Barry Big Bollocks the episode before. Schrodinger's cat. I mean, there's so much good stuff from him the main thing i got from this episode and it's a question i have for neela seeing how everything went have the scales fallen from your eyes yet for roman because he seemed pretty happy to give it all away to throw his lot in with some fascists 
yeah, Roman is basically doing what Logan would do. And he's, you know, putting the corporation or the family first, maybe not the family, but certainly the corporation first and him first, let's face it. It's probably what Logan would do. I love seeing the reactions of the old guard. I don't know where they were. They just seemed to be in the back room somewhere, just following things. But yeah, I, I love their reactions to what was going on. That wasn't the question I asked, though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not letting you wriggle out of this one. My question was, have the scales fallen from your eyes now that you've seen Roman is happy to throw democracy away for the dollar? I, look, there's always going to be a soft place in my heart for Roman. That's not going to change. I'm very excited about what Roman's going to add to these last couple of episodes. I mean, I'm, I did write in my notes, Roman is fucking vile in this episode. And I think it does, you know, for a lot of the time in this series, particularly, he has been quite a sympathetic character and, and you know, for all the things that we've discussed about him and his feelings towards his dad. But I think what the show does brilliantly is just remind you every now and then how truly awful these people all are, all of them. Yeah, they all are. But um, but I thought, yeah, some of, and I did think that some of what Roman did, we, it was re referenced a couple of times that actually they all went beyond what Logan would have done. And we think about what would Logan do? You know, he would never have been on the floor during election day. That was one of his Geneva conventions, apparently. <laughs> um, and, and Shiv, in her argument, says, you know, even dad wouldn't have, wouldn't have meddled to the degree that you are but he has effectively re and remorselessly fucked over the country <laughs> yeah but let's also remember dad ended wars that he started yeah i, I would say saying yeah but asking allowing a fascist into power you, you need more than that neil i'm sorry let's <laughs> what i thought was interesting actually about what roman did was how it turned the tables on Kendall. And, and really, Roman's been failing at being, at putting up a challenge to Kendall. Kendall's been the one who's been succeeding, if you like. But obviously, now Roman has this direct link, a link that Kendall doesn't have to the White House. And so his, his position has been strengthened and was perhaps his only card left to play, really. And Kendall is clearly uncomfortable about that. I mean, to quote from the last episode, one head, one crown. We've spoken before about the fact that his name is is Roman. He's called Rome for short. And he is will almost certainly fuck over his brother for power, whether he stops at the paps of what, what was the Chronicles? A poor mook's paps or a she-wolf's teat. I think Roman is going to be fucking everyone over if he's not fucked over first by Menken, because I'm still I'm still not sure that Menken's not going to fuck him over. Well, Menken at the end of the episode, he took Roman's call, but he didn't really commit to anything. So that's definitely interesting. Grand, we've mentioned Connor already. I'm sure we'll we'll revisit Roman at some point. But we mentioned Connor already. Let's let's focus on him because he did have, I thought, some of the best moments in this episode. I agree with you, Demo. Particularly the idea of the, there's cameras there filming him. ATN have got a crew with Connor, but literally none of it is is being aired. None of it's making the show. <laughs> and the idea of Schrodinger's cat, you know, 
at the moment I'm just as much president as the, as everybody else. Yeah, it's such a nice play on Schrodinger's cat. The line is Schrodinger's cat. Until we open the boxes, I'm as much the president as the other two. <laughs> I happen to be a billionaire. Sorry, <laughs> con heads are coming. Yeah, what I loved about the next bit is they after he gets off the phone and they're trying to like reinvigorate some energy in the room. And they talk about, yeah, we can do anything. We can do anything. Well, we've got, what about, what about Kentucky? What about Wisconsin, whatever state it is? And then immediately, breaking news, both of those states have gone to someone else. Yeah, if it's going to happen anywhere, it's going to happen in Kentucky. And then the news says, too early, but good for Mencken in Kentucky. Connor's crest has fallen immediately. Alas, Kentucky. One of the one of the swing states they talk about, I think it's in that scene, but it's not necessarily, I think, for Connors, they talk about Georgia, which was kind of like the big, important deciding state in the last US election in Trump versus Biden. So it was interesting to see the, the kind of the eyes gazing towards, I think, the probably the new big bellwether state. It was interesting, the kind of real, not the real politic, the actual politics of it kind of being mirrored in the show. Yeah, definitely. Mentioned that the sort of three siblings end up on the floor. Well, we haven't mentioned it. We referenced the fact that the three siblings end up on the floor and and Logan would never have done it. But then Connor shows up on the floor as well so that he can concede in Mencken's direction and that maybe perhaps he could get this sordid backseat fuck job and get an ambassadorial role. And it turns out he's offered Slovenia if he makes a speech in Mencken's direction. And I just love the Willa line of Vienna for lunch, Venice for dinner, and then Connor saying Dubrovnik for breakfast. <laughs> he he said all slows were no before, but I think he's re-evaluating that. Well, we have to talk about his his final speech, right? His, his concession speech. And Demo, you said you got it all written down. So... I'm happy to hand over this. The thing I loved about this most is it was another clear example of a man-child in this show. So his speech is uh, talking about his first running mate, who I will not dignify with a name check, but had that woman not dropped out, and then had I not had to replace her with another figure who turned out not to be able to bear the weight of public scrutiny, Had I not been betrayed by those two jackrabbits, who knows? Politics of envy. Ugly game. I happen to be a billionaire. Sorry, but honestly, America, you flunked it. I guess you're going to have to find some other poor moot apps to suckle on. The corrupt bipartisan zombie marches on. And then there's a bit more chat. <laughs> with the other characters, and then he ends it with, as Neil said, the con heads are coming. Well, I love the joke from Frank of like, oh, Connor was running for president. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love the old guard just kind of watching in the background. I mean, they're pretty much retired, but you know, they're still following what's going on. And yeah, their comments and reactions are just brilliant. Yeah, the retired janitors of Idaho probably, <laughs> of the future. So, so great. Really, really lovely stuff from Connor. Do we think we're going to see much of Connor in the last two episodes? I mean, obviously, it looks like funeral is tomorrow, right? Mm-hmm. So it looks like episode nine is going to cover the funeral, and then we've got a 90-minute episode to finish off the whole thing. 
I can't remember whether we said it in the podcast or just on our WhatsApp chat, but we, we had a feeling that the funeral would be the last episode, but maybe it'll be the penultimate episode. Yeah, I think that's definitely, well, I can say definitely. I think that's going to be the case, given it, that it is the next day. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, who knows what we'll see in this movie-length final episode. Oh, I think we said, but who knows what we're going to see in this funeral, but as we know, it's Reagan's with tweaks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or with twerks, maybe. Oh, that's you interesting. Know. What have you got planned, Adam? <laughs> you have to wait and see till next week. Should we talk about Kendall then? Yeah. So it feels like, I mean, Kendall's conflicted throughout most of this episode, I feel. He gets the call from Rava. She thinks she's being followed by an SUV, and it turns out to be one of, the, one of Kendall's. No way to make your family feel safe than by hiring someone to not too surreptitiously follow them. <laughs> Yeah, we get a scene with him before uh, with Roman talking about making the call to Jimenez. And Ken is like not, for whatever reason, he's not making that call. We don't know why yet, but it looks like he, well, he says it's a bit sweaty, leave it a day. And Roman says, no, this is the day. We, we make the call now. This is when we make our deal with them. And then he gets a call from Menkin, Roman that is, and off he goes to talk to Menkin. And the beginning of all the machinations that sees the end of this episode starts. It seems like in this moment where Kendall has to make a decision, he's still procrastinating, he's still prevaricating. He doesn't quite have the minerals to do what needs to be done. What I loved about this episode is what I've been waiting for for a long time. So this is loosely based on the Murdoch Empire, and they had a huge influence over politics and elections. And this episode really made it clear as the the part that the media play, um, and we we got to see it through the Roy family. Yeah, and it, that decision of like who should run the country is what's weighing heavily on Kendall's mind, right? Because all of the stuff, a lot of that dialogue early on, and it's and a lot of you know there's there's some vile stuff coming from Raymond that I think feeds into the way that Kendall's thinking and is reminding him about the conversation that he's had with Rather previously about his daughter being pushed. He's not comfortable with it politically, but he knows it's the potentially what is going to help him get control of his company. That's the big dilemma for Kendall throughout, right? Yeah, it's, it's classic late-stage capitalism, right? The, I mean, the argument is said that the same thing happened with the Nazis. The reason why they managed to get a lot of the super-wealthy factory owners is because they were super-wealthy realised, oh, gosh, well, if we go with communism, we're definitely not going to keep our money. But if we go with fascism, well, we'll keep our money. Yeah, we might live in a police state, but we should probably be OK. And then they found out they, they probably weren't OK which is why I think Menken might fuck them over. We do get Ken eventually calling Jimenez after that and Rava's told uh, him that there's vote suppressions, there's fires being set off. We don't know what's going on. Ken calls Jimenez. He definitely is and his father's son in this. He says something like, making, making sure it's fair as fuck. Have a good night, man. Stay hydrated. Sure, man. I mean, it's good to talk, man. Man. Man, 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 man. It's such an awkward, awkward conversation. And the shot, I don't think we've met Jimenez before, but he was brilliant in that little one scene of him taking this call from Kendall Roy and then going, Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, okay, man, yeah, thanks, thanks for calling. Bye now, bye. <laughs> yeah, Ken is not owning that situation at all. 
No, I mean, to be honest, I think what I guess won Kendall over is that they had more cards up their sleeves with Mankin. I don't want to derail it already, but do you think that's what it is? Or do you think it's the betrayal by Shiv that does it? Ooh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I think there's definitely something. I mean, do we want to talk about that now? Because I think that we was should. quite a major advancement in the narrative. Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I, I agree with Damien. I think, and again, it comes down to this siblings dynamic, right? And this is the fate of a country is decided mm. by the way that these siblings interact with each other. And Kendall goes to Shiv for his best version of a heart-to-heart, and she tells him he's a good guy, you're a good guy, Kendall, and all the rest of it. And she plays on his his desire to be a good person, but then she lies, and he you know, the, the lie unravels all, and that is what ultimately, I think, lands Kendall on the side of going with Mencken and Roman. The stuff before that as well, I think, when she kind of confides in the brothers and says, this stuff I can't tell you right now, but things are bad between me and Tom, you can't trust him. And you know the joke, do you want us to kill him? All that sort of stuff again. And then later on in the room, Tom says to Shiv, you sound unhinged. And then immediately Ken says, you fucking watch it, Tom. You know, there's all these moments where Shiv said to Ken, be my brother. You are my brother. I need your help. And then when he comes to her playing the good angel to Roman's bad angel, which is kind of this kind of existential crisis, I guess, that Ken has the whole night. And it's just, it's too much for him. And I think that's really what what makes him go, do you know what, fuck, this is all bollocks then. I'm done. I'm going to do what's best for me. I can't even trust Shiv. Shiv's fucking us. And will no one think of the children? (laughs) Well, that scene, I mean, that scene opens with Kendall walking into Shiv, watching PGN News. She's not watching the ATN News. She's watching the Pierce Network News. And Kendall says, if we call it, he'll declare and we're in bed with him. So he lays it all out. And he he definitely feels threatened by Roman's relationship with Mencken. That's a huge part of it. A huge part of the reason he goes to Shiv in the first place. But I, I wrote in Block Capitals, do the right thing, Kendall. <laughs> it was just like, please. And he says, I'm not a good father. She says, you've tried. That's all we can do. He says, maybe the poison drips through. And then Shiv says, I don't think even dad would back him tonight. And the thing is, Kendall talking about, I don't think I'm a good father. Obviously, Shiv at the moment is thinking about whether she could be a good mother because Tom has already accused her of not being able to be a good mother. Definitely. And then so Kendall asks her to speak to Nate. See, there's a way to block the deal. That's it. This is all on this. The democracy of America is their last hope. And we see Shiv go into another room on the phone, talking away, and then we cut to hearing what's on the other end of the phone. I'm thinking, like, why the fuck? Why have you done that? Makes no sense. Also, Tom's in the room, and he says, it's not my call, and Shib calls him Pontius Pilate, which in many ways he is washing his hands. Yeah, massive fucking Pontius Pilate, right? (laughs) But before that, just before that, I know we're not talking about Roman yet, But Roman uses the H word. He calls her hysterical, massive, huge. He could have used any word, but he chose hysterical. I mean, that is fucking outrageous. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's all really bad. We need to, in order to kind of really talk about the end of this, we do need to touch on Greg a little bit because he plays a Well, key... Greg and Tom, I've been avoiding yeah. getting into too much detail about both of those characters. However, I'm going to the bathroom to shit. Would you like me to live stream it? Yes, please, Neil. Uh, okay, I think my tech may fail. <laughs> I'm going to take two minutes. Your touchscreen's going to malfunction whilst you're having a shit. <laughs> oh. I'm going to leave it by my kitchen table. I'll see you both in two seconds. If we are going to touch on... I genuinely need the bathroom, David. <laughs> okay. okay, that's fine. You don't need to be here for what I'm about to say. <laughs> are we going to touch on Greg like an old man dancing? <laughs> It was my favourite moment of Greg and possibly my favourite thing of like Greg being traumatised by his night out with Matson, I think was one of my favourite moments from the whole series. He talks about drinking things that aren't necessarily drinks. So I wonder if it's another example of or or the Swedish equivalent of the closed loop system. <laughs> well, it was Tom who drank his own cum, wasn't it? And it on, his, on his stag do? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. You know, I mean, Eva was probably on the on the trip as well, right? On the night out. Yeah. <laughs> Let's not go there. Yeah. Let's not go there. Yeah, I definitely agree. We need to talk about Tom, but before we get there, let's just talk about the Greg situation. So Greg has been out with Matson, and he's found out that Shiv and Matson have this relationship, this communication going on between them. And the key thing from that is that Shiv eventually finds out that he knows, and she pulls him aside. And basically asks if he fancies her. Do you want to fuck me? You're a disgusting brother. Or was that too disgusting for you? If you try to fuck me, I'll kill you. And then he comes back with silence is golden. But how golden? Is there an offer? Greg playing his normal card of what's in it for Greg. And she tells him he'll be able to keep all of his internal organs on the insides rather than her pulling them out of his arsehole. Yeah, Gregory, the normalist, Peggery, really trying to work there as much as he can. I think that scene in the side room, because I was a bit like, what the fuck is going on with this? The line she says, do you find me attractive, Gregory? Which I believe is a semi-quote from The Graduate. I believe Mrs Robinson says to Benjamin, do you find me attractive, Benjamin? And then he says something along the lines of, uh, I think you're the most attractive of all my parents' friends. From Roughly from that. So full disclosure, first time I met Adam, we were doing The Graduate. I was playing Benjamin Braddock and Adam was the director many years ago and I could still play a fresh graduate. But the reason why I bring that up is that there are quite a few references to big, famous lines from films. Roman has one about, I think, the world being a... a Great big pussy waiting to be fucked, which is also in Scarface, or a variation of the infamous line from Scarface. And there are many times in this show where we either get something as highbrow as a Shakespearean quote to kind of legendary Hollywood films. Also, I just want to quickly add Gregory's line of, I don't think of things such as that. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant, brilliant stuff. As soon as you said, do you find me attractive, Gregory? I was like, that sounds like a line from The Graduate. Yeah, I think so, yeah. But my then my thought then was this, is there any way that Greg stays, you know, the course for Sporus? Is he going to back Tom to the end? Or is he going to, 
is he going to move on to Ken, which is what we've kind of been seeing as this particular series has gone on. Yeah, he, I mean, him and Kendall have always had a, a weird sort of relationship. And like Kendall's always found a use for Greg and has been able to use him and, and, and quite often in a kinder way than Tom, whilst always giving him the shit jobs to do. So when Ken goes to Greg to ask him, is there something going on here? In that key moment, which is bringing us back to this whole Kendall Shiv situation, in that key moment, Kendall goes to Greg and asks him, and then we see Shiv looking through the windows. And as Greg walks by, he shrugs as if to say, my silence, you know, wasn't golden enough. So I've ratted you out. It's really hard to um, not talk about Tom when talking about Greg. Tom says, I need you gregging for me. He asks, where's my coffee? And he's like, Tom, I don't do coffee anymore. But Tom absolutely needs a Greg in his life. And he forces him to snort cocaine, um, which, which Greg doesn't want to do. What I loved earlier on was Tom saying, information, Greg, it's like a bottle of fine wine. You store it, you hoard it, you save it for a special occasion, and then you smash someone's fucking face in with it. And Greg just goes, nice. Does anyone remember Greg's last interaction with a fine bottle of wine? <laughs> he opened a bottle of someone's. It was Kendall's girlfriend's, I think. Kendall's girlfriend's bottle that he opened that she'd been saving for a special occasion. Yeah. I think also the, the other thing from that scene you were talking about, Neil, when he talks about why he has to be on top of stuff and how things can spiral... Then the end of that speech after nuclear Armageddon is, it's a long way back from pond life because you failed to get me a double shot. <laughs> There's some other good lines. I think he says to, to Darwin about how he's got good archers uh, and he keeps on saying that, that pre-title scene, the amount of times he says he's a little tense to Greg. Oh my God, yes, I wrote that down. I'm just a little bit tense, just a little bit. Tense. I also loved when Pam said that they shouldn't use the woman from Milwaukee or wherever. And Tom goes, you know, Dr. Pam, perhaps until you've qualified, why don't you get her on the air? Yeah, that, that line about the shoes. Pam's talking about the fact that Sid, his predecessor, wore slip-ons. And he says, probably because she couldn't get her cloven hooves into regular yeah, shoes. Yeah. I think all of us, this was the longest episode to watch so far because there was so much brilliant script. Huge call out to the writers and also the performers for delivering it amazingly. But there's so many quotes from this episode. Um, well, let's, we're st now we're on the, the Tom train, choo-choo. Let's stick with that, and then we'll we'll pick up the Kendall versus Shiv moment at the end of the episode, because I think that is significant. But there's a moment where Tom says, it's not your call, it's my call. Um, I'm trying to find it in my notes, but they're having a conversation. They're trying to get him to call it one way or the other. Roman goes in and he says, call it by the power of me, CEO of Waystar. And Tom tells him, you don't make the call, I make the call. And then obviously... I mean, they, they have the whole pending call for Wisconsin. And we should probably talk about Wisconsin because there's been a fire, right? There's uh, And it's it's likely that it was Menken's people, Menken supporters who caused the fire. And 100,000 100, ballot papers have been destroyed in that fire. And significantly, they were most likely to be Democratic supporters. Darwin 
gives us that information because that's normally who would vote by that method. It, it makes the whole Wisconsin thing really, really difficult for them to be able to call one way or another. Um, obviously, Roman's hard on for calling it Menkin, and everyone else is trying to work out what the legality of it is, I guess, and that it's not feasible for them to re-vote. Yeah, all I would say is I think Shiv very clearly sets herself up in opposition, and she is, no question about it, she is Team Jimenez, whatever's best for that, we can't call it, those votes need to be counted somehow, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. But it's the thing that then Tom then flips right at the end of the episode when he's like, it's not my call. <laughs> so he's, yeah. He goes from saying it's my call, it's my call to then, you know, oh, I can't do this. It's too big a thing for me to do. Well, you know what that is, though, right? Because the coke's worn off. Yeah. <laughs> if he'd just done a couple of lines, he'd have come in there and said, shut up the lots of you. I'm going to do this. I mean, from what I can imagine, coke is like, obviously. But then at, right at the end of the episode with Tom, once, once again, really, really beautiful stuff here, this sombre music playing as it's been announced that Mencken has won the election. There's no celeb, nobody is celebrating at all. And Tom is being blamed for it. You know, they say the news is reporting the legal process is going to be, is going to be lengthy. Did Tom make the call personally? Was it an error of judgment? Or was there a personal political dimension to the decision? It's the classic thing that we always see. The people who aren't the Roys end up taking the fall. They're the ones who are going to get fucked for it. So yeah. Tom is, is left behind and Darwin is fucked over as well. Because Darwin says it's not a call call. I'm happy to go up and say it's pending, but it's not a call call. And then obviously everything happens with the, the wasabi and then the lemon water <laughs> in his eyes. But at that point, it's out of his control. ATN are basically saying it is called. They don't read. I mean, Tom says that they put it as a pending call. But from what I can see from the footage on the screen, if they've written pending, they've written it very small. And so, you know, Darwin's asking later, well, do I have, is there time for me to go out and explain what's happened? Is, can I say why we've said what we've said? And he's still, no, that's it. You're to be discarded. And it looks like Tom is also to be you know, sacrificed for the greater good of the Roy machine. Do you think this might mean that we will hear more of Tom's logistics folder that he mentioned mm. in episode three, the folder that he told Greg to delete? Do you think his delete was code word for stick it on a USB drive in case we need it in the future? I'm so not no, sure was... that Tom is that savvy. I, I, I think he'll get caught out. Or oh, I want yeah. him to get caught out. Caught out with what? Mm, did he do it? Did he not do it? But he definitely deserves to be caught out. What for the for calling the election? No, for covering up the cruise issues. I agree, it's not his fault, but he definitely deserves to be caught out for something. Because because he's he's an awful person. Is it because of his treatment of shit? Sorry, Demo, you go. I said, but Roman isn't. Roman is just trying to do the best for the deal, Neil. Is that what you're oh, saying? Oh, absolutely. Right, right. I, I can't right. say anything bad against Roman. You're cop-blinded. <laughs> <laughs> I do think that, um, you know, sympathies for Tom have, you know, have definitely within this season waned. Like, I think the, what happened at the end of the last season and, you know, his his certainly his treatment of Shiv perhaps has kind of made him less sympathetic overall. So should we talk about the 
development of Tom and Shiv because there have been a further conversation or two about their relationship. At the end of the last episode, Tom said that Shiv shouldn't ever be a parent to a child. Um, that was clearly going to hurt her. But now Shiv in this episode has told Tom that she's pregnant by him. And I thought what Matthew McFadden did without saying much was really telling. What were your guys' thoughts? Yeah, well, what I really loved about it is the beginning of this scene is she takes him into the room and she apologises for what she said the night before. And then says, maybe you would like to... Oh, no, you're, you're, you're not going to apologise for anything then. Fine. How and should then I frame she my said... face? <laughs> yeah, exactly. How should I frame my face? Exactly. And uh, she says, for a number of reasons, I've been feeling off kilter and then eventually Tom responds with you also sort of killed him and then that's the moment she says it and I thought his response to is that even true or is that a new position or a tactic and the pain in Shiv's face and I just thought that's the last thing you'd ever want to hear after breaking that news only marginally better than if he had asked is it mine Damo, I've got a question for you, though, and similar to the one you posed to Neil. Do you think it was a tactic or a ploy by Shiv to tell him that news at that time? Bearing in mind, it's his biggest night of his life running this election. The touchscreen's malfunctioning. All three siblings have been on the floor, causing chaos, being where they shouldn't have been. And then she pulls him into a room to tell him that she's pregnant. Yeah, of course. I mean, she's she's the one with the limited hand, right? She's not a CEO or CEO or anything like that. She's she's had that horrendous row and she's pregnant and there's all these millions of things going on. She's just playing the card she has. But what my only argument about that would be is how horrendous is her playing that card? It, it's not quite the same as getting into bed with fascists. I'm sorry, I just won't hear it. Roman says no comment, but... Um... Tom does say you also sort of killed your father. I mean, that's pretty brutal. Yeah, because she comes out with a line of my father's just died. I mean, how many times are they going to fucking say my father's just died? Get over it, right? The full line is you hated him and you also sort of killed him. But it's like, yeah, you know, I, I think it, I think his reaction, bearing in mind he was on a lot of cocaine, wasn't that outrageous given the, her, her timing of that revelation. What I thought was really, really lovely was the penny finally dropping once she'd left the room. And we get this moment of Matthew McFadden sort of, as Tom, sort of taking on board actually what she's just told him. Completely agree with him taking on board what she's just said. I don't think I can excuse anything said just because they're taking a load of cocaine. Don't say Roman, Damo. <laughs> No, I was I was going to say the the only thing I would say is is that I think oh, they're just two really hurt people in the kind of you know the debris of that relationship, right? And she knows that she has to say it. She wants to say it to him, and yeah, I think that's fair, Adam. It is it is a little bit tactical her sharing the information. I thought maybe she was going to say, as I said before, in that fight, but he went too far, and so she wasn't able to say it, and now. This is it. The rubber hits the road. I'm going to say it. And both of them are so fucked up that neither of them can really 
I mean, was there ever going to be anything positive to come out of the interaction after what happened the night before? I think it could only really go that way. Yeah, I just think if she if she really had wanted a positive reaction from him or a serious consideration or whatever, she would have, you know, done it at a different time. I also appreciate that, you know, she is, you know, she says she's been all out of sorts and she is finding this all really, really difficult. And the battle with Roman is not something that I think that she particularly enjoys or or is particularly good at. You know, I think he's because he's so blunt and vile and obnoxious in his in the way that he responds he, he, he's not a serious person he doesn't have a serious political argument it's all about getting getting his his slice of the pie it's also the power dynamic she doesn't actually have power so she can do all she can she can be in the room she can be the grown-up in the room and talk about these things in a grown-up way but the kids are in charge and so roman can be as vile as he wants he can say fuck it i don't care because he is a, he has the power to make the decision. You know, you might see that in the certain members of the cabinet in our government in this country right now. They can say whatever the hell they like right now because they're in power. Yeah, completely. Can we go back to the sort of Kendall Shiv thing at the end of the episode then? Now we kind of sort of track through all of this stuff. Because her being outed as, as having lied about all of this and the revelation that she's in bed, inverted commas, with Matson is what turns Kendall against her and leads him to make the decision to make the call for Menken. Um, and it is that that sort of betrayal from Shiv that Kendall just can't cope, which leads to the kind of some people just can't cut a deal thicker. Kendall suggests just me. Don't want it to be an end to the family thing, but how about if it is just me? And he also goes on to say, it's hard to think we give it all away to Matson. And he kind of lays his cards on the table with something to Shiv, and I guess tries to get Shiv to support him in that. I mean, I'm suspecting there will be a Kendall versus Roman climax to all this over the next two episodes. Well, I think it's very uh, unfair of you to exclude shit from that. And, you know, that's obviously part of the patriarchal upbringing and all the rest. I don't think either brother cares about Shiv. And I think that's awful, but I think that's the reality. Yeah, the conversation is purely for Kendall's own needs, right? He wants Shiv to say he's a good person. He wants Shiv to tell him the right thing to do because he knows really that's what he should be doing. And he wants Shiv to him, pat him on the back and say, well done, good boy. It's another man-child conversing with a strong woman who knows what the fuck they're talking about. And that whole move, like you said, Neil, about him trying to explain the play is him leveraging their ongoing argument between Shiv and Roman. He goes to Shiv and says, look, I don't like what Roman's doing either. I don't want him. Let's get rid of him and make me the leader on my own. But I still want you there. That's Ken's ruthlessness and ego. Mm. So at the end of the episode, you know, the whole family dynamic is completely destroyed. They are now the three of them in very, very different situations. So you've got Roman talking to the president who's sitting in the POTUS position. Um, you've got Shiv calling Matson saying, let's get the funky numbers out. We're going to fuck them so hard. We're going to fix this. And you've got Kendall talking to his wife who wants to go and see his kids. But, you know, he has ultimately got the whole the deal is going to be blocked. He's going to do this on his own with Frank by his side. They are the three of them, and they each have a position of power to play within these final two episodes. 
Yeah, I thought it was interesting that the phrase that Shiv said to Matson was, we're going to fuck them so hard, we're going to fix this. Because I wondered if that was her thinking with her relationship with Tom. Hence all the banging and asking if she'd broken his dick. She was hoping to fuck the relationship back into place. Yeah, interesting. Anything else we want to pull out from this episode then? I mean, there was so much going on and it goes at a breakneck speed throughout but yeah anything that we you think that we've missed there was a little moment actually I thought a little insight into the sort of childhood in that Roman accuses Kendall of big brothering it and they have this conversation about chicken and steak and Kendall points out you tantrumed which is why you didn't win because they didn't want to encourage you throwing a tantrum and I thought that was quite a nice little character insight to the family dynamic yeah should we talk about Mencken <laughs> Yeah, and and his his being confirmed, well, not confirmed, but his acceptance speech. He talks about non-transactional ruling, pure governance, some really worrying stuff that he just casually puts out there in that speech. Yeah, he says democracy has this tendency that we have to be aware of to become mere transaction, and that he was a, a leader willed into being. Something proud and pure, yeah. Yes, yeah, Warren as fuck, isn't it? There's no doubt about it. All we hear is how how vile he is. There was that newspaper headline, wasn't there, of, of Jim and Yet, um, of like Jimenez, him and Yet, I guess, being put forward as as a Russian. Yeah, and let's not forget also when they talk about this that he was kind of an outside candidate. He was brought in six months before, had no hope, and then various things happened, and he managed to find himself as the candidate and then thankfully the election has been called for him by an authority of known integrity atn news <laughs> <laughs> yeah grand so funeral next episode then and then we get who knows what in the finale yeah yeah and that, that's actually quite exciting because i think a lot of us thought that the funeral would be the last episode but if it's going to be the penultimate episode then what have they got in store for us well, the fallout. The fallout, yeah. Whether there is a, a final success or, I guess. Will there be an America left to succeed in? Uh, yeah, maybe it's a flash forward episode. We see, like, <laughs> what, what state America's been in. <laughs> God. They wouldn't do that to us. I mean, I just think that it will be fireworks. I think whatever happens in that final episode will yeah. be mental. I, I just cannot see succession giving us a damp squib of a finale well no of course not so what, what will happen is is that america will fall apart there'll be some nuclear armageddon but thankfully 50 60 years down the line a new president will be crowned president shiv jr roy <laughs> uh, well this has been a lot of fun thank you chaps hopefully next week we'll be joined by the grace or is he or both maybe but it was lovely to be back with the l to the og tv dna Oh, love it. Mm. Whilst you think of your favourite lines of the episode, I will just remind our listeners that you can catch our Ted Lasso and our Yellow Jackets specials and our weekly watch list episodes where we review, spoiler free, the best of the rest of the current TV crop. Um, you can contact us on the social media at TVDNAPod or email TVDNAPod at gmail.com. We would absolutely love it if you gave us a rating or review on your podcast listening platform of choice. He's got a final line for us. I've got a couple, but I'll go with my, my ultimate favourite line of the episode was when Tom and Greg was trying to surreptitiously take some coke. And Greg said, simply cleaning the whiteboard here. <laughs> <laughs>
can quote Roman because you're the main, but I'm a huge wrestling fan. We made a night of good TV. <laughs> and with all that said and done, I guess the last thing is to say we're left the most dickless eunuchs in Bucktown. <laughs>